0: This is My Seminary Life, Episode 9, the Season 2 Premiere. Welcome back, everyone. Brandon Knight here, welcoming you to the Season 2 Premiere of my seminary life. I hope you enjoyed your week-long summer break. I know I did. I spent a lot of time catching up on projects I had been putting off doing around the house, and I watched a lot of Adventure Time. Claire and I have been knocking out shows. It's been great. I have all this free time now. I was talking to my buddy Scott, who has gone through uh, seminary and all, and we were just laughing about how Before seminary, it's like, man, I got to get all these things done, get all these things done. And then you start doing classes and you have to rearrange your schedule and your life so that way you can have the time to get all the homework done. And then when that class is over and you go back to that normal life, you suddenly realize, wow, I was actually wasting a lot of my time, not using it properly, because I would do all these projects, sit and watch some TV. And then realize, wow, I still have three hours to kill before Claire gets home from work. It's been great. It's been really nice. But we are back now with a unique semester on our hands. If you follow me on social media or if you listen to the trailer that's up on our, uh, on our platforms now, you know that this is going to be a different type of semester. But if you're new here completely, or if you've missed those memos, allow me to catch you up on what should be going on here. Normally, the purpose of my seminary life is this is a show where I sit down and I reflect on what I've been studying throughout the week in my seminary class, and I give you some of my thoughts on it. I was describing it to my friend Brevin the other day that this show is kind of like the Reader's Digest version. Of a seminary class. I'm spending all these hours and hours and hours and hours during the week studying to give you the 30 minute version of it. And so last semester, I took a class on spiritual formation, and that's what we talked about. And I gave you highlights on lectures I had been listening to, books I had been reading, the papers I had written. That's how the class is supposed to go. And if you're brand new here, I encourage you go back and check all those episodes out it'll take you the same amount of time to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League to get through all of the episodes so you'll actually be making more progress doing that than watching Justice League just saying anyway that's how things are normally supposed to go but again If you've been keeping up with social media and the trailer, you know that that is not what's going on this semester. But the thing about a one-minute trailer and polls on Instagram is that it doesn't really give you the opportunity to provide context. So now I can finally sit down and explain exactly what's going on here and why we're doing what we're doing this semester. So, My transcript from my time at Moody Theological Seminary, I was there for like two or three years, I think, was reviewed by my current school, Grace Theological Seminary, and they are going to count three classes from my time at Moody towards my current program as I'm studying to receive a Master's of Arts in Ministry Studies with a concentration in Christian ministry, and yes, that is very redundant sounding. So, with having only taken one class here at Grace, I am now one third of the way through the program. Yay, this is exciting. 33% done. Woo! Yeah. Good stuff. I'm excited. I'm happy. We're moving the ball down the field. It's great. The other interesting thing that's come from this though is that those three classes, which that is the limit that you can transfer in, are the three of the four classes. That you can take during the summer semesters. And because of how Grace has this program set up, that fourth remaining class isn't offered until the summer, until next summer on the second half of the semester, the second eight weeks. All of that to say, my summer break isn't just a week long. I am actually off this entire summer until. I think it's late August when the fall semester begins, right around Labor Day in September, I think is when the fall semester starts. And I'm pretty happy about that. I gotta say, it's pretty nice. I'll also be off this time next summer as well. But it's pretty nice to have this whole semester off because I don't know how it is where you're at with pandemic life, but here in Northwest Indiana, the summer is starting to look a little bit more normal. We have so many great farmer's markets and food truck rallies and outdoor free concert related things that go on here in our county that it's going to be nice that I can go do stuff with Claire, with friends, with family, enjoy the summer and not have to think, oh man, I need to get back and finish that paper. Oh, I need to read 100 pages of this book tonight. I need to do this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, It's going to be nice to have this whole run of things ahead of me, but I was already planning on wanting to take a break with this podcast between the semesters, but I really don't want to wait an entire three, four months before we pick this show back up. I really enjoy doing this. I really do. It's been kind of fun. It's a little bit more work writing the script and putting the episodes together. This is like my third or fourth time starting this episode already and we're only six minutes in. But I really enjoy doing all that but it's worth it. I enjoy it and I I don't want it to sit for four months. Also according to our analytics which I've read before that podcast analytics aren't really the most accurate depiction of your audience. It's, it's complicated. Why? But according to the numbers that I do have to work with, there was a big bump in new listeners right near the end of our first season, which is great, which is really cool. So I came up with the idea of rather than just sitting and not doing anything on the podcast, even though I was already planning on making time for it, And to continue to build momentum off of our new listeners and maybe bring in a few more new ones, instead of just me picking out some stuff to talk about, I embraced people power. I gave you all the power to choose what we were going to study during this fake summer semester. So this whole semester is just going to be for funsies. That's what's going on here and... It is now time to reveal the results of the voting. I, before I do, though, I just wanted to say, uh, also based off of our analytics, there is a small group of you listening to this show from the great country of Canada. So a special shout out to you Canadians listening to this show right now and making this an internationally known podcast podcast technically. Thank you. We really couldn't have done it without you Canadians listening to it. Please share it around. Let's keep this show going around the world, folks. That would be really something. Anyway. Anyway, so time to get on with the results of the voting. I had four options on the table. There were two I was really confident about that I figured people would pick. And then there were two more that I just threw in there to – I just wanted four options. So I had two I was pretty confident people were going to pick, and then two more just to kind of round it out. And you all kind of surprised me a little bit. You took – the number one was one of the ones that I figured would win. There was no doubt in my mind that this was going to win. But I was kind of surprised by our second-place winner, Our second place winner, who is going to be what we're going to talk about on the second half of the semester, for the second eight weeks. Our winner, in second place, excuse me, in second place, pause for dramatic effect, revisiting my old sermons. I am surprised and actually a little bit flattered, actually, I no, I am. I am flattered that people would actually pick this, that people actually like my preaching enough that they're like, sure, tell us about some of your old sermons. So this is how this, so this is how it's gonna work. When we get to that second half of the semester and we do revisiting my old sermons, this is what we're gonna do. I have a literal physical folder Here in my house, with literal, physical, printed off, or handwritten sermons and devotionals that I have been teaching and preaching, and I wrote, like, I've got some in there since from when I was in middle school. Like, I I used to be quite the pack rat. Now, what I've been doing slowly is I've been taking these old sermons and converting them over to digital and making any necessary updates that I need to. So what? how this second half of the semester is going to work is that each week I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pull out one of these really old sermons. I, I already have a couple in mind that I know I want to do. I'll convert it over to digital. And then here on the show, I'm going to tell you the story of why I preached this sermon because some of these have kind of fun, have fun stories connected to it. I'll then give you the high level of the uh, outline, you know, the main points, some of the main illustrations or quotes that I use. And then any major changes that I made when I converted it over to digital, which could possibly happen a lot if I pull out some of these older middle school ones. Who knows what... Middle school Brandon's theology was like (laughs) trying to teach other 13-year-olds about Jesus. So that's how the second half of the semester is going to run, revisiting my old sermons. I'm actually kind of excited for this. I think it will be fun. But in first place, very, very unsurprisingly, is C.S. Lewis Writings that I was very confident like as soon as I came up with the idea I was like oh yeah people people are going to want this people want more CS Lewis in their life and if I could if I could put the cards on the table for a minute this is actually really encouraging news to me because I have had I have ideas for two other podcasts that I want to start at some point either as whole new shows or when this when my seminary life is done if I want to rebrand as a new show or if at some point we have the need to have patreon exclusive or you know stretch goals to unlock more content we need way more listeners before we get to that point but if i given the opportunity to start more podcasts or have more shows there's two i've had in mind for a while now one would be i and a host or a guest would sit down and we would talk about theological, philosophical, and ethical uh, themes that come up in various geek-related projects like comic books, superhero movies, anime, pro-wrestling. You would be surprised how many pro-wrestlers have become pastors throughout their life. That would be one show I've kind of wanted to do, and the other one would be a show where I and a host, a co-host, or a guest would sit down and we would go through various writings by Lewis. Tolkien works on them, works on the Inklings, works by the rest of the men who were in the Inklings, things like that. That would be, if I could start two more shows, it would be something on geek theology and something related to Lewis and Tolkien. So this is good news for me. Seeing that there is a general interest for a uh, for a C.S. Lewis show, this is going to be the beta test for it to see how it runs. And here's how we're going to do it. I've mentioned before that when I was at Grace College, I took a class on C.S. Lewis writings, and one of the books that we had to had to buy for the class, we didn't read all of it, but one of the books that we had to get was the Essential C.S. Lewis. Edited by Lyle Dorset. Lyle W. Dorset. And or Dorset, maybe? Maybe he's French. I don't know. I should have I should have figured that out beforehand. Anyway. Anyway, so this book is a collection of Lewis's writings, either complete, like all of Paralandra is in this book, but most of it is highlight real material from a number of his writings. For example, There's a section in here from Surprised by Joy, but it's not all of Surprised by Joy. It's just the part where he talks about his definition of what joy is. So it's this highlight reel look at a lot of his most well known, most famous writings and speeches as well. And so what we're going to do, like I said, we didn't get through this whole thing. So what we're going to do is each week, I am going to sit down and read one, two, three, however many. It's going to vary week by week. I kind of outlined it a little bit for the next eight weeks starting today. And I'm going to sit down and read these, and then we're going to come on here, and I'm just going to kind of recap what's going on here in his writings, in his speeches, and then give you a few of my thoughts on how it may correlate to present-day Christianity, because Lewis is writing back right around the World War II era of England, Christianity. And let's see how it connects to 2021, American Christianity. And already there is some very interesting connections. So that's what we're going to do. We'll have C.S. Lewis for these first eight weeks and then revisiting my old sermons on the back half of the semester. Hopefully... Everybody is happy, or mostly happy, or if you casted a vote for one of these two options, you don't feel like you're getting ripped off. Again, social media only gives you, only allows for so much context to be given. Hopefully, you don't feel ripped off. But that's what we're doing. And I have prepared a little bit to close out the rest of this show talking about... Let me uh, catch up my notes here. Alright, here we go. I have prepared a little bit for us to talk about today on C.S. Lewis. and We're going to start our first episode here talking about C.S. Lewis' writings, uh, reflecting on one of his, more, again, one of his well known articles. This is God is in the Dock, written in 1948. This is an article he was asked to write about how can a Christian share their faith with modern-day unbelievers? What are some of the obstacles that Christians could face when sharing their faith with modern-day 1948 unbelievers? And Lewis sets out in this article first talking about how there are two main groups that he is familiar with when, when it comes to sharing his faith. And he cautions that these two groups, these two contexts that he is familiar with, are not models for how everybody, how every unbeliever thinks. That what they, what these different, what these two groups struggle with, the obstacles that he has faced faced in sharing his faith with these groups doesn't mean that every group in England or around the world is going to have the same types of obstacles, because every context is a little different. I will say, though, that at a high level, these, these four areas that Lewis is going to identify next that were obstacles, I think are still to this day common obstacles that Christians face when sharing their faith. And so my guess would be, even back then in 1948, even though the Royal Air Force and his students are two very different groups from the average, you know, wife in England or the average teenager in England, even though their lives may be very different. I think these could still be relevant obstacles when sharing their faith to them as well. So. He, like I said, he's talking mainly of his experience with the Royal Air Force and his students, but he really focuses more on the Royal Air Force, and he identifies four obstacles in this op- in this article that he has faced when sharing his faith. And the first one is what he calls theological vagueness. He says that a lot of the men in the Air Force and a lot of his students had this kind of watered down christianity mixed with polytheistic and modernism views. It was this really weird blend of things. He didn't go into too many details of what what it was like, but he he called it a theological vagueness. Like they they kind of had an idea of different christian things, but it was muddled with a lot of other polytheistic and other the other religious views and he says that if there was any any hardline, like very strong theological doctrinal statements, it was usually from either a very Catholic perspective or as Lewis would put it, a an extreme Protestant group like Baptists. He said it not me. <laughs> Okay, but that's exactly what he calls Baptists, an extreme Protestant group. Doesn't explain why, but that's... Anyway, so if there is any like hard theology that came from this theological vagueness, it was either very Catholic or apparently very Baptist in its thinking. The second area that he spends time talking about is... These groups view on history. I found this air, this part to be quite fascinating. What he says is that the men in the Air Force, they, they, they believed in the present. Like the present was a reality. But the present isn't a result of history. And the reason for that is because we don't really know what happened in history. Things get written down and copied and recopied and things get changed either on purpose or on accident until we get versions of things that happened in the past in history and we don't really know if it's the full story or not. This counts for everything that happened in history at that point except for the prehistoric times. Lewis said because these things were labeled as science that the what we knew about the prehistoric times at that time that was concrete because it was labeled science so the present was concrete because we're there and the prehistoric times that was concrete because it was science but everything that happens in the middle he describes it as these people had like a mist like a veil over what happened in the in between times in history and so talking about things that happened in history was difficult because, well, we don't know if that's really how it happened. You just have this, this historical version, you have you just have this version of the story. Who knows if this is accurate? The third area that Lewis identifies is language barrier. The language barrier. He talks about how in almost every society, there is a higher intellectual language, and then the language of the common people. It really reminded me, as I'm reading this part, it really reminded me of, in the movie, Idiocracy, when, I forget which, man, which Wilson brother is it? I can't remember which one it is, but it's one of the Wilson brothers that's in the movie. And he ends up in the future, and the language has digressed so much that it's described as a combination of urban slang and valley girl and even though the the one the main character is just he's just talking like how I am right now he isn't he isn't trying to sound all you know high and influential he just you know he's just talking like an average person no one can understand him because it's like an ancient dialect that sounds really refined and intellectual and above everyone's understanding And so and that's kind of what this section reminded me of, because what Lewis talks about is that in his world of the intellectuals, there were certain terms or certain phrases or certain doctrinal thoughts that he could dialogue about. But when he would talk to the average person, they would either have a completely different understanding of those same terms or they wouldn't understand it at all. And he would have to come up with synonyms that the people would understand. And so Lewis emphasizes in this section that you have to speak the language of the people. You have to be you have to know what how they talk and then be able to speak that language as well. And he even says that if you're trying to talk about some theological, you know, drop in some big theological term. And you yourself have a hard time breaking that lofty theological term down into the common language, then you probably don't know that theological idea or that you know vocab term as well as you think you do. So that was the third area, this language barrier that we had that Lewis had to obstacle. And finally, fourth and finally, there was the matter of sin. Lewis talks about that at one point people had a general guilt when it came to their lives. They knew that they would do they had done something wrong. Nowadays in 1948 people didn't have that. Part of sharing your faith was even bringing the unwelcome news of an unwanted diagnosis of You are dead in your trespasses and sin. People didn't even, that wasn't like part of their framework at all. Guilt about what they were doing. And this is the punchline. Because Lewis comes to this point and he says, in reality, God is the judge and man is on trial. But in this new society of 1948, the roles have been flipped. Man is the judge, and God is in the dock. Man is the judge, and God is bringing his case before man, and man is deciding whether God will be acquitted or not, whether what God is offering is valid to that person or not. And it's these four obstacles that... God, in his case, and we as his ambassadors, have to work through to show them that, yes, you want God in your life. Yes, you need God in your life. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to find God as, I guess not guilty, not guilty, I guess. I don't know what the, how the metaphor goes from there. But that's, the, but that's what's going on here in God in the Dock. And he closes out this section bringing two, um, bringing two ways that you can potentially share your faith with people. And the first one he talks about is talking about sin that is relevant to the group. He talks about how with his two groups that he is familiar with, talking about things like drunkenness, and fornication, that didn't really, that didn't really phase those people. Those weren't, you know, it either was a non-issue to them because they didn't indulge in it, or a non-issue to them because they had no guilt over it. But instead, he would talk about jealousy, or cowardice, or other types of sins, and then people started to show interest then the Holy Spirit was able to work in and start to press guilt upon people to bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. The other way that Lewis talks about, and I think this was a joke to some degree, I at least laughed when I read it. He talks about how ultimately the good old-fashioned come-to-Jesus emotional response still seems to work really well but he's too intellectual to be able to do that well. And I I took that as a joke, like some lighthearted, like, I wish I could do this, but I'm too brainy to have this really emotional moment and bring people to Jesus. I thought it was funny. I don't know. It's funnier the way that he wrote it than how I just explained it, though. Okay, so let's run this back. Let's talk about these four obstacles again in light of current America and see what we got. Okay, so theological vagueness. Check. We still have that. There are so many people nowadays that they like the moral teachings of Christianity or they, you know, they say something like I follow the teachings of Jesus and they leave the door open to be able to follow the other moral teachings or the other teachings of other religious leaders and a kind of a blending of all these different religions into one theological framework that works well for them. Or, I don't or I don't know how this one is still so popular. A lot of Christians mingling New Age mysticism and astrology into their daily lives. That is still a very popular, if anything, if anything, it seems like it's, more on the rise than ever this like these elements being kind of stuffed into people's lives to help bring them a little bit of a, a false sense of security in their life so yes i would say theological vagueness is still very much a part of the average person's lifestyle okay so theological vagueness history I would say this is the one that is most different from how Lewis talked about it, because I do think that there are some people out there that have a very religious-like adherence to anything that is labeled as science. But from what this past year has taught us, taught a lot of us, is that Many of us have been taught a very specific view on history at least of our country that is not the full historical picture. It is a very specific perspective either with a very either on purpose because that's just what has always been taught or with a very malicious agenda in mind. And because of this now a lot of us are questioning what really is the historical, you know, what really did happen in our country? What really yeah, you know, what really is the path that has got us to this point? So if anything, it really does feed into this mentality of can we really trust history? Can we really trust any of the books that tell us this is what happened at this place in time? Is everything just Skewed to a certain perspective now? Is anything actually true? And it's all just feeds this beast of you can't trust history. You can trust science, and in a way, you can't even trust the present anymore because there's more and more people thinking we live in a simulation. But you can trust science. Whatever science says, that is absolutely true. Religion or history, that's skewed. You can't trust those things. That's, that's the culture we live in. Then we have the language barrier, and this is, I would say, the most obvious and timeless one of them all. Knowing, knowing the language of your audience and being able to intelligently speak that language is public speaking 101. Like that is that is the most basic one of the most basic things that you can do as a preacher, when you're giving a speech, when you're doing a devotional, whatever, you you should know how your people speak. Now, that doesn't mean that you go up there like that stereotypical youth pastor that just, like, uses all of the hip slang and he just sounds so lame. I do that sometimes on purpose. Like, there are times when I teach at youth group and I will Use certain of uh, certain terms that the kids are using nowadays because I'm apparently old now, and I I use it in such a way that it sounds dorky, but if anything, it gets the kids laughing and engaged more. You know what I mean? So I'll go up there and say "yeet" or "fam" or, uh, what's that new one I just heard the other day? "Chugi," I think it's supposed to be like a new word for basic. Anyway, anyway. So, you should know, you should definitely know and be able to speak the language of your audience. And I think Lewis actually has a really good point that you can drop all the theological terms and all the Greek and Hebrew that you want. But if your audience doesn't know what those things are without any explanation, and if you can't explain it in simple terms, then you go back to the drawing board, friend. Like, you got to figure out something else here. And finally, we have this issue of proving to people that sin, that they are living a life of sin. And this is a very tricky one, I think, nowadays, because things are becoming more and more permissible in society. But I do like what Lewis says here of not so much like dancing around certain things and like, oh, no, no, we're not going to address, you know homosexuality. We're not going to talk about that because that's too hot button and we'll start to lose people. But really honing in on areas that matter to your audience. I think if we can show them from a biblical perspective that God, for example, cares about things like justice, that God cares about, that the Bible has something to say about mental health, I think we could bring people in more. I think you could be able to persuade people on those ideas that you have anxiety. The Bible talks about anxiety. Let's talk about anxiety. The Bible cares about the poor and the widow. God cares about the poor and the widow. Let's talk about the poor and the widow. God wants people to be treated equally because he loves us. He has love he loves the world and if we can come to the Bible and proclaim these types of messages rooted in Scripture, rooted in the gospel, we could see more people come to Christ could is the key word there. there's no guarantees in all of this. Lewis kind of doesn't say that straight out but from how he has this written, He's making it clear, like, there's no guarantee that this is going to work. These are just my observations and a few of my ideas, which is kind of like what I'm doing here. These are just my observations and a few of my ideas on if this could happen. So while certain sins may become more and more permissible in society, there are other areas that we can still talk about from a biblical gospel-centered basis that people could Come to know Christ. Let me see where I am at here. All that to say, I think God is still very much in the dock. I think people are still have God on trial, weighing his case to see if they are going to believe in him or not. However, I think nowadays, the term Christianity, the label Christian, the term evangelical, I think those are in the dock as well now. I think they are. And not like in a, oh, we're being persecuted in this country now type of way. But I think a lot of people are now, have now put these terms on trial. They're trying to decide, do I believe in God? Is what God says in his word true? Do I believe in him? And do I want these labels to describe me? All throughout church history and in very recent history, there have been a lot of people who have been hurt by other people who carry these labels of Christian, Christianity, evangelical. And because of it, there's a whole movement, a mass exodus of people deconstructing evangelicals who want nothing to do with God and scripture because they were hurt by people carrying these labels. And it's sticky and it's messy and I'm already going over on time, so I don't really have time to address the fact how, you know, maybe the church should do a better job of taking care of each other and showing love and showing grace being responsible towards one another and also caring about these people who are leaving and letting them have time to process their pain i don't have time to go into all that i have a lot of thoughts on these things and chances are not all of them are correct but the point here is that in this mass exodus from these labels These labels are now on trial. Are they worth it to carry it? I am definitely a Christian. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. But to be honest, there are times when I wrestle with if I want to label myself as evangelical or not. To me, calling myself a Christian is more of a must. Whereas the term evangelical, I'm starting to feel just personally. That, that is something I can take or leave. Honestly. I don't... Okay, I'm getting... I'm going over on time. I need to be wrapping this up. I don't have time to wrestle with these things on here. But that's something that I wrestle with on a normal basis of uh, is, is that term something that we should still carry? God is on the dock and so are the labels of Christianity. But ultimately... I want to leave us with, this is our verse of the week. For those of you who are new to the show, we have a verse of the week every week, something from scripture to help feed us a little bit more. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Uh, Let me find it here. Here we go. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Ultimately, though God and these labels are on trial, and there are these very legitimate obstacles that make it difficult for us to share our faith, it is still worth it for us to go out there and to share our faith. Because how are people going to believe if we are not going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to go proclaim the gospel to the world. But what do you think about all this? Do you you think Lewis is right in his his breakdown of the obstacles that are common to unbelievers and how I think that these are still obstacles that we see today? Do you agree with me that these labels of Christianity, Christian, evangelical, that these are on trial as well? Let me know what you think. Comment on the social media posts, wherever you saw this at. You can always leave us a voice message on our profile on Anchor. And please follow me on Twitter at my underscore seminary life. The M-S-N-L are all capitalized. My underscore seminary life. You can slide into my DMs on there. Let me know what you think of these things that we talked about today. If you enjoyed that episode, please subscribe, favorite, leave a star review, read, leave a actual written review, whatever it is on the platform that you're checking us out on. And please tell a friend about the show so we can continue to grow the show. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker. Radio Public and Pocket Cast. so hopefully your friend listens to shows on one of those. So here we go. Sorry, this one went a little long. We'll I'll try and rein it in a bit more, but we had so much business, business, business to attend to this episode. But I'm really thirsty, so I'm gonna. <laughs> we gotta call it a day here. Uh, I'm excited for our fake summer semester. I think it's gonna be fun, and we're gonna grow a lot. And I hope you come back next week where we're going to talk a little bit about what are we supposed to do with this Jesus Christ fellow. Should be a good time. Catch you all next time.